0: Stop. What up, everybody? Buongiorno, buenos dias. Ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome to Abacabo Cafe. I am your host, Jason Almi, and I want to say thank you very much for joining me for this fine episode, because today we're going to be talking about Kimagure Orange Road, television episode 18, entitled "Maroka's Challenge, The Haunted Beaches Big Wave Legend. This episode originally aired August 3rd, 1987. It was directed by Suda Yumiko, who you might remember as the director of episode two, a little lemony kiss for her. Suda also directed episode nine, which was Kurumi-chan, I'll Teach You How to Date. Now, here we go. Here's the good news of the day. Put down what you're drinking. Guys, if you're chewing something, swallow it. Today's episode was written by Terada Kenji. He's back after a few episodes off. Uh, He hasn't directed an episode since episode 14. We're on episode 18. This is... Terada's longest stint to date. Don't feel too bad for the guy, though. Terada has written episodes 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 10, 12, 14, and now this episode, episode 18. So if you're making marks on your wall, if you're carving something into the desk that you're sitting at, you should have nine hash marks carved into that wood. So pick up the knife, pick up the shank. If you're listening to this in prison, Pick up the shank. Uh, shout out my boy, James L. I thought you were in federal pen, uh, penitentiary. To my Patreon, James L, we love you. Regardless, wherever you are, I'll send you those stickers. Carve a ninth mark into the wall of your jail cell, whoever you are, wherever you are, because Terada is writing a bunch of episodes. I might actually have to stop after this episode listing the numbers, because by the time we get to the the high 40s, I'll be talking for like 10 minutes, just listing the numbers out. In this episode, we begin with establishing animation of the blazing sun and ocean waves crashing against some rocks. And So this is another episode that starts a little bit in media res. It uses a brief flashback to fill the audience in on the details up to that point. Otherwise, they just start us out with, the gang is on the island already, or at the beach already, and... That's all we need to know. This episode begins with a single line of voiceover as we're seeing these establishing shots. And Casuga says something along the lines of, it all happened at a beach one summer. Which makes the voiceover sound disconnected from the events we're about to view, as if Casuga is recollecting them some years later. So there's always a question in my mind when the voiceover is taking place relative to the events that we're watching unfold. Is it something that Casaga is recalling very shortly after these events took place, or is it something that he's recalling many years later? In this case, it seems like the voiceover that we hear, the narration that we hear, is a recollection some years down the line. What comes next is important. Oh yeah. We get to hear Orange Mystery for the very first time. We get to hear it as an insert song. This will, in just a couple more episodes, become the opening music for Orange Road. And I got to say, this is my favorite piece of music related to Orange Road. So on all the Orange Road soundtracks, all of the CDs, all of the records, all of the different OVA's, the movies, everything. This is my absolute favorite, my number one track, my number one favorite piece of music for the Orange Road media franchise. This is it to me. It's a subjective opinion. You're allowed to disagree with me. That's okay. I'm not gonna try to arm wrestle you over it, but the idea is For me, at least, this song encapsulates what Orange Road is, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be about. This is it for me. It's got the vibe. It's got, it's like an 80s bop. It it absolutely slaps. I love, I love this song. So uh, I loved hearing it, and this is the first time I ever heard it was watching this episode. And it's an MTV-influenced music video style montage scene. We get those somewhat frequently in this uh, television series. We get to see Costco doing things, Ayuko doing things, things occurring as this montage uh, or as this music plays. So as for like the French, if we're talking French cinema, montage is pretty uh, simple and it refers to the assembly of shots and editing. So it's, it's basically your cuts to and from different subjects. Um, the Soviets regarded montage as being symbolic of something there was a meaning to montage with the soviets and in many modern non-art films uh, films that you would see in the west uh, f- quite frequently montage is a way to condense time and communicate information um as it as it occurs in real time or just condensing it so it shows like an elapse in the uh, diegetic world uh, of time like sports films use it for like the training sequences you think of uh rocky to to compare it to something that's contemporaneous with this episode of orange road like rocky 4 and he's training in the russian mountains or whatever and he's getting ready to face drago and we have this training sequence it's often used in sports related training sequences the montage montage cuts down on dialogue it can establish conditions that are important to the story without a whole lot of fuss. And that's kind of what's going on here. We see the, the gang as they're traveling to their destination. It establishes the general vibe, the the place where this is occurring, and what the weather conditions are like. And, and it's, honestly, it's an awesome song too. So we get that. But during the brief flashback, Ayuko receives the tickets from... Uh, a customer for the the beach lodging that they're going to go stay at. So we get a little foreshadowing here. Master wonders why they would give away their tickets during the peak of the season. Why would somebody do that? Presumably the tickets are more desirable during the summertime. And the gang all says, who cares? We're going to the beach for free. And they kind of dismiss the thought. But we know the dialogue was written for a reason. And so that's a little bit of foreshadowing for some coming scenes and shikaru is like over the top throwing it at kasuga during the Abakabu scene she immediately fantasizes about having to share a room with him and then she actively attempts to prevent yusaku from finding out about the trip knowing that he would insist on joining like they got three tickets he's the fourth wheel he doesn't care he's going to shell out because he wants to go along he doesn't want to let kasuga out of his sight And Yusaku knows it's likely that he and Kasuga will wind up sharing a room. The girls will share a room and the boys will share a room. That sounds like a pretty big win for Yusaku. Now, Kasuga, he's ever the good boy. He's initially shocked when he sees Shikaru and Ayukawa stripping down at the beach. Like, oh my God. He's surprised to see that the beach is having this effect on them where they lose all inhibitions. They, of course, have bathing suits on underneath their clothing. He... He really should have anticipated that. But here you'll notice how closely Yusaku sticks to Kasuga. When Yusaku notices that Kasuga is gazing at the girls, he gets all up in Kasuga's space. It's like he's trying to reclaim Kasuga's attention. Notice how they animate him. He's kind of almost nuzzling up to Kasuga and looking upward at him, trying to get his attention, getting between him and the girls. And if Yusaku was really into Shikaru like he claims to be, he'd be near her. He'd be glomming onto her, especially now that she's frolicking on the beach in a bikini. But nope, he's all over Casaga. Casaga and the gang notice a bunch of surfers checking out of the lodge to leave, just as the gang there is arriving. That calls back to the, the Abacabu flashback a few minutes earlier, where Master wonders, why, why would someone give away tickets for this peak season? It's weird that they got free tickets. Now everyone's bouncing, it's double weird. They have to wonder why are all these people leaving the hotel, but we're picking up on that thread, and we're getting towards the ghost story part of this episode. It's here that the gang learns about the Big Monday wave. This is a reference to the American film Big Wednesday, directed by John Millius, released in 1978. Like some of the other uh, intertextualities in Orange Road, it's very likely that the filmmakers were aware of Milius' Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday won a Japanese Academy Award for Best Foreign Film, after all. So there had to be some audience for that movie in Japan. We can establish that as fact. And then, because this comes out about 10 years after Big Wednesday, 9 to 10 years after Big Wednesday was released... It's altogether possible that the filmmakers, either Kenji or Suda Yumiko or perhaps both, are familiar with Big Wednesday and allowed that to be an inspiration for this episode, for, for some of the content of this episode. This reference to the Big Monday wave is an homage to that film. Now, we get a character of the week here. It's the surfer lady. There are some Orange Road episodes that introduce interesting characters who are integral to the plot of that episode but they'll never return past their episode similar to other tv show genres like law and order they introduce a character for the week so that they have somebody to kill off the character serves to move the plot along in this direction and help them tell the story that they want to tell so our surfer lady koto is that type of character she's big she's important for this episode She drives a lot of the plot forward in this episode, but we're never going to see her again. She's unimportant after the end of this episode. When Kasuka sees her, he notes that she's quite beautiful, even as Yusaku calls the guy who told them about Big Monday a womanizer. It's kind of funny, the surfer that told them all about Big Monday. Yusaku's all pissed off at him. He's like, what a womanizer as the guy drives away. But here, is noticing he had a third woman in it, within the span of of maybe 30 minutes an hour he's already ogling a a third woman and uh, and yet the surfer guy who told them about big big monday and then left promptly that guy's a womanizer for sure i think yusaku's trying to play his cards right because he wants to spend some time with Kasuga in the in the uh, lodge we get an inventive use of the power here in this episode too uh The twins annoy Kasuga Takashi as he's trying to focus on his work, which I really appreciate the inventive use of the power here because it makes the twins seem like actual, real teenagers. Telekinetic teenagers would most certainly use their power to annoy their parents, 100%. If I was 15 and had psychic abilities, I would f*** with my parents hardcore. Their attempts to convince Takashi to take them to uh, the beach reflect their unique personalities kurumi opts for brute force tactics of course she's about a second away from bending him over backwards and just twisting him into a pretzel until he relents she says the pool is boring she wants to go to the beach and if blood has to be shed so be it manami however employs a bit of crafty strategy here she tells takashi that some shots of the beach and the ocean would look good amongst the other landscapes in his portfolio She reasons that he's got pictures of the mountains. Why don't take some pictures of the beach too? Next, the twins project the image of the beach somehow. I don't know which aspect of their power allows them to do this, but they they project the image of a beach across the walls of Takashi's dark room. It starts out blue. All of the imagery is blue, which makes sense. Ocean water is typically depicted as blue, particularly in this show. The twins mention Casaga potentially getting one of the girls pregnant at the beach. And that's when the beach imagery becomes red, like a sunset. It reflects the subject matter of the conversation that they're having. That switch from the, the blue uh, reflection or image to a golden red one it starts to get a little bit more amorous with the color. And so the colors in this scene were chosen with that intention in mind. So it's a kind of artful use of color as seen through this kind of inventive use of the power. I mean, it's not just a bikini floating by, Jingaro in uh, water wings floating by, being levitated. I mean, the, the idea that they're going to fill the room with this imagery of the beach that there must be some reflection of what's in inside their head and what they're hoping for and then turning it red when they mention that Kasuga might become uh, a father if we don't catch up with him and make sure that he keeps it in his pants. This scene is played for comedy, of course. Jinguro is being levitated across the room. He actually seems to be enjoying himself for once, and Takashi accidentally tears his photo print in half, but it also serves as a little bit of exposition. Not for this episode, mind you. This isn't going to come up again, this episode. But next episode... This little bit of exposition is going to pay off. It is also in this episode that we learn about Ayukawa's kryptonite. Spooky shit. A 200-pound biker thug doesn't frighten Ayukawa because he's flesh and blood. She can take him. But it seems that she understands that a ghost would be rather undeterred by her capacity for physical violence. The story of the ghost of Koto-san frightens her and it remains on her mind, importantly for the rest of the episode. The ghost story itself is seen in black and white as the old fisherman relates the tale in voiceover. The only color that we see in that, in that ghost story sequence is the red of Koto-san's blood from her injured wrist, which is meant to draw the audience's attention to this detail. We, we need to see that she was injured. We need to notice that she was injured on her wrist because that detail is gonna be important in a few minutes. And some of the characters react to this story immediately after. Koska admits that he doesn't really care for that type of story, but otherwise he doesn't seem too bothered by it. Yusaku actually thinks that he should plan to pee before bed, presumably because he might otherwise piss the sheets. Uh, That I thought was pretty funny. I I thought that was a pretty great detail. Like, of course, the toughest guy in here who can do 500-something push-ups on the boat on the way over to the beach Of course, that guy's going to piss the sheets, right? It has to be the toughest guy. It has to be the guy who projects the most machismo. has to be the guy who's going to piss the sheets because he heard a ghost story. Shikaru is unfazed. Apparently, that type of thing doesn't really bother her. She must be a tremendous horror fan. Ayukua tried to play it cool. She didn't want to expose her weakness here, but Shikaru aired her secret for her, and it works for Ayukua. I mean, it really works. Kasuga seems very bemused at Ayukua's fear of the spooky shit. And he's going to exploit it a little bit for the rest of the episode, but in a playful way. And he's not trying to get anything from Ayukua. He's just being flirty. And it works pretty well for him, I might add. The gang then notices the surfer lady. They're still standing there with the fisherman, And they see Akoto, the surfer lady, out there on the waves. There's this immediate narrative association of her with the ghost story of Koto-san. And so this is montage at work. This is montage creating meaning. Because later in the episode, the gang is going to start to suspect that the surfer lady is the ghost of Koto-san. By showing the ghost story and then cutting to the surfer lady, we immediately get those two side by side. Ghost story cut to surfer lady, this is important. This creates meaning without having to beat us over the head with it. Case in point, we cut to that night. There's a, a dissolve from a close-up of Koska and thought. He's looking out over the waves. He's watching the surfer lady, Koto. And so something's dawning on him. Something's connecting here. But the dissolve that occurs from that close-up of Koska and thought to the, the fires, uh, the fishermen's fires out there at sea at night, it was always a little confusing to me. It always feels like we're going into Kosuga's mind with that dissolve versus simply cutting to that evening. So this is an example of how montage creates meaning. Sometimes if the montage is done in a certain way, there might be a meaning that wasn't intended by the filmmakers. The fact that I always assume every time I watch this episode, and I've seen this episode probably 8 times, maybe 10 times, every time I see this close up of Kosuga in thought, There's the dissolve to the fisherman's fires. I always think he's having some type of thought or fantasy or recollection. And it's because of the way montage is employed here. And I I sincerely doubt that that was intended by the filmmakers. But it's a good example of how montage works inside of our brains to create meaning. That evening, Yusaku is the first to notice that the only other guest at the lodge is the surfer lady. And that the surfer lady's name happens to be Koto. Same as the ghost story. It's telling that Yusaku immediately goes back to Kasuga with this info. He doesn't seek out Shikaru or even Ayukawa, whom he sees as kind of a big sister. He goes to Kasuga for comfort. The surfer lady's silence with the gang, along with the scar that Ayukawa notices on her wrist. This is where that red from that ghost story scene comes into play. We're supposed to remember that Koto-san, the ghost, was injured on her wrist. So the surfer lady Koto having the same scar, meaningful, and we're supposed to recall the ghost story. Post-eye catch, we get an establishing shot of an exterior. It's a light at night. We see a little bit of the night sky behind it, and we see some bats go by, and it's part of the establishing shot. The bats were put in there on purpose, of course. I mean, this is animation, and and it's supposed to remind us that this is like the spooky scene. It's the type of thing that would kind of unsettle Ayukawa if she were to notice the bats, which she does. Kasuga is being kind of playful with her here, in this night scene, going with her to try to help her find her T-shirt, but he also seems to be testing Ayukawa's response to some of his uh, playfulness, to see if Shikaru was right about Ayukawa's stomach for the spooky shit. He's being playful when he tries to spook her. I mean, he does the little flashlight thing under his chin, and he looks goofy, not scary. I think that Ayukawa's fear of the spooky shit is meant to be cute. Maybe even a little bit girly of Ayukawa to be scared of such things. It's like a holdover from childhood, despite Ayukua seeming so mature otherwise. Ayuka is easily the most mature of the high school characters in this show. But she's got this one thing. She's got this one thing that's maybe a little bit childish. Because an adult surely wouldn't be scared of ghost stories. But for her to be, for her to be spooked by this type of thing. It does seem like something that she's carried with her from being a young girl. And Casca truly seems to relish learning this about Ayukua because it helps him feel like maybe there's not such a maturity gap between him and Ayukawa after all. Also, I think he enjoys knowing these small, personal, intimate things about Ayukua that she would normally keep a secret. This is just the type of thing that the people close to her would know. Family, close friends... This is not the type of thing that would be known amongst all of the classmates at school, for instance, the people that she holds out at arm's length that she doesn't get to know and get close to. So Kasuga is also feeling like he's more and more increasingly part of Ayukawa's inner circle. Shout out Inner Circle Podcast Network, what up? I don't think that Kasuga intended to spook her into grabbing him. When she grabbed onto him in fright, I think he, he enjoyed it. I don't think he minded that response, but he wasn't trying to, to spook her. He wasn't trying to get her to faint. He wasn't trying to put her in that frightened headspace where she would react like that when she saw Koto on the beach. But Casico reacts the same way too. I mean, he initially thinks Koto is a ghost as well. And he initially starts to split shit, honestly. He starts to run. But to his credit, he almost immediately remembers that Ayukua fainted. He can't leave her back there with the ghost. So it's not cowardly of him to to go back immediately to save her. He doesn't delay at all. As soon as he remembers that Ayukua is not running with him, he's turned back around. He goes back armed with an oar, and he's ready to fight a ghost for Ayukua. And that's to Costina's credit. I mean, he gets a lot of shit over the course of this show for being a weenie. But in this case, he was ready to duke it out with a non-corporeal entity with a boat oar, which doesn't make a ton of sense, but he was, as all he had, and he was ready to do it for Ayukawa, which is great. So we got to give him credit there. In this scene, we also see these seemingly disparate plot points of Big Monday and the Koto ghost story coming together. Here's where they interweave. Koto is actually friendly. She supports Kasuga's relationship with Ayuko, which, of course, that's all she needs to do to get into Kasuga's good graces. And she reminds Kasuga to always protect her with all his might. More foreshadowing. They're laying down some foreshadowing for a future scene that's coming in a couple of minutes. Ayuko wakes up a few minutes later. Kasuga's carrying her piggyback, presumably returning to the lodge. And Kasuga maintains for a minute that they really did see a ghost that Koto really was a ghost. It's an organically cute moment between the two of them. And it really seems to work well. Like this is some good rapport moments between the two. So often in the show, we focus on Casuga being a bonehead, putting his foot in his mouth, his mouth writes a check that his ass can't cash. I mean, this happens a lot. We see him as wishy-washy. We see him as weak, spineless, et cetera. But There's got to be a reason why Ayukawa likes the guy, right? She doesn't like him for all of those qualities. So I like this type of scene. I like when they include this because it's not always necessary to the plots that they want to tell, but it's nice to include it sometimes because we do get to see these organically cute moments between Koska and Ayukawa where they really do seem like a great match for each other. What's more is that not a lot of people joke around with Ayukawa. She doesn't exactly invite that kind of interaction. So Kasuga getting to do it here and, and feeling comfortable doing it shows that their relationship has progressed. It's gotten to a pretty good place if he's able to mess with her a little bit and she's able to respond accordingly and they, they go back and forth a little playfully. It's a short, brief moment, but I think it does show some good progress in their relationship. The next morning, Ayukawa decides to tackle Big Monday. Yusaku, Shikaru, Kasuga, they're all concerned for Ayukawa's safety. Of course, this is supposed to be a killer wave. No one's ever been successful with Big Monday. Big Monday's stacked a lot of bodies, apparently. Kasuga doesn't try to stop her. Maybe he knows she's dead set on her course of action. Um, maybe he knows that he's got her back or he trusts her ability her athletic ability of course we get to hear this piece of music what else are you gonna what else are you gonna play as our heroine rose towards the biggest wave in all of japan maybe gotta play heavy and severe if you guys want to find this piece of music online heavy and severe The song is heavy and severe. We see some flashbacks of earlier that morning as Ayukawa is talking to Koto, the surfer lady, not the ghost version. In the manga, Koto is actually already engaged to be married in the fall. So she's already found someone new and she's already attempting to move on. Here in this episode, Koto... Uh, talks about getting married in the future without any real specifics. It's like something that she wants to do, but she doesn't have a a time and a date and maybe not even a groom yet. And this is the point in the episode where I wonder, why does Koto's need to confront Big Monday? Which makes sense. She needs to do it to move past her boyfriend's death. But why does does her need connect with Ayukawa? Why does Ayukua find that so important? Is it pity for Koto? Does she want to be Koto's proxy so that Koto won't have to wait another year to tackle Big Monday? Or is it that she thinks maybe she has a better chance of surviving the wave than Koto does? But Koto has already been shown to be a competent surfer earlier in the episode. Is it that Ayukua wants to get over Kasuga, move past Kasuga, maybe she identifies with Koto wanting to be able to move past her deceased boyfriend it's possible but it seems unlikely especially after the previous scene where she and Kosuga were playing around on the beach and it just seemed so cute and and it seemed so natural and it seemed uh, totally meant to be i don't think Ayuko wants to ride the wave to like brush Kosuga off maybe it's that Ayuko fears losing Kosuga in some figurative sense moving to america or him having to move again or or him deciding that he wants to pursue Shikaru and not her. and He only wants to be with Shikaru. Maybe she's afraid of losing Kasuga the way Koto lost her boyfriend in a more literal way. We all know that Ayukuwa is, of course, a talented athlete. I mention that because a lot of times people th- think Ayukua is good at everything, but usually the stuff that uh, Ayukawa is shown to excel at is either related to athletics or music. So she's a talented athlete. We, we've already seen her perform expert martial arts to defend herself. We've seen her on the balance beam, rocking it like a, an Olympic athlete. So we know that she's super talented. It's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that she's relatively good at surfing as well. She's undaunted by Big Monday. Ayuko has definitely got the biggest balls in this whole series. Because Kasuga, Kasuga is not getting on a, on a surfboard to go challenge Big Monday. Of course, nobody has yet conquered Big Monday. So despite a strong early showing, Ayukawa does wipe out. Here is where Kasuga must protect Ayukawa with all of his might. We see him here using his power to do so. This is the moment that was foreshadowed a bit earlier when the surfer lady Koto says to protect her. And we know that he's using his power thanks to the audio cue that we hear. His face is scrunched up too. Looks like he's trying to hold his pee. But we know he's using the power. He's trying to bring Ayukawa, I guess, teleport Ayukawa, or, 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 or use telekinesis to move Ayukawa back to the surface of the water so she won't get... Pushed down by this giant wave, and it works. Way to go, Kosuga! He did manage to protect the woman that he loves. We can give Kosuga credit for that, but Ayukawa doesn't. Unfortunately, she credits the wrong boyfriend. She marches right past Kosuga, a little bit to his surprise. It seemed like he was kind of waiting for her to, um, you know, maybe say something to him. She walks right up to Koto to express that she thinks the spirit of Koto's deceased boyfriend is the one that saved her. And so only Kasuga and the audience know that it was Kasuga actually who saved Ayukua. All right, everybody. It's that time of the episode where I invite you to please come support Team Almi Studio on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash team Almi. We're going to have all sort of exclusive bonus content. You'll also have access to my other show shit happens when you party naked, which I've moved exclusively to Patreon so that you have to pay for a Patreon membership to, to get uh, upset or offended at my crassness. I would also like to invite you to please check out inner circle, for other inner circle podcast network podcasts. If you need podcasts to listen to, We've got podcasts for you. So you won't ever have a boring commute again. If you go check out my homies, innercirclepn.com. I want to say thank you guys very much for listening to the episode. I would appreciate it very much if you left a review. Subscribe if you haven't already. Tell a friend. Put a gun to a friend's head and force them to watch the entire Orange Road series and then force them to listen to this podcast. I don't care if you have to coerce people. Doesn't bother me. And let's play some music.